0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Over the last week, Adam Weinstein has been thinking back on his early days in the military. So, Adam, you were in the Navy for how long?
0: Uh, Just four years. But I've been either working in or covering uh, the military establishment since then.
1: Adam's the national security editor at the New Republic Now. You talked about this poem that (laughs) guys in the Navy learn. Can you tell me about it?
0: So when you go to the Naval Academy, you go in for your first day. It's called induction day. I day, they take you in. They issue you uniforms. They shave your head. They put you in your room and teach you how to make your bed and fold your clothes. And then they give you this small book called Reef Points, um, which is called the Plebe Bible. And you have to memorize all of this information in this Bible. And this is a process that all the service academies have. But at Navy, they have this one particular poem that you're also required to memorize called the Laws of the Navy.
1: The Laws of the Navy is a poem that's all about teamwork and obedience. It's got this one stanza about taking on your chain of command. It concludes, "'Tis well with thy seniors to fight. They prosper, who burn in the morning the letters they wrote overnight.'"
0: I think it's remarkable that at the same time that, you know, they're teaching prospective naval officers to tell port from starboard, you know, the rules of the road when you're actually underway in a ship, they're also telling you, hey, be careful what you put in writing.
1: (laughs) This lesson, it's been top of mind for Adam this week, as an angry letter from the captain of a U.S. warship caused Navy brass to publicly implode. That captain, a guy named Brett Crozier, was desperately trying to get his sailors off the USS Roosevelt as the coronavirus spread on board. But releasing a letter, it just isn't the way the Navy does things.
0: The first thing I thought of was the laws of the Navy. And wow, that's a letter that's probably going to end a sailor's career. (laughs) But it was also one that seemed like it was really necessary. And it definitely struck a nerve in the American public right now while we're stay-at-home quarantined and looking at how the military is dealing with these same issues that we are day to day.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've said that the military, you think, is actually more vulnerable than the outside world to the coronavirus. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I,
0: it's it, it comes down to this is a very large bureaucracy that has a very specific mission, and that mission is not one that lends itself very easily to uh, self-quarantine or social distancing or any of the precautionary measures that you need to take in contagion.
1: Today on the show, while the rest of the country has gone to war with the coronavirus, the sailors on the USS Roosevelt have gone to war with their bosses. Nearly 300 of them are positive now, including Captain Crozier. And Adam says it's worth paying attention to this fight because it shows how a rift in the military is widening. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. The saga of Captain Brett Crozier snowballed this week as his angry letter led to his dismissal. And then the captain's dismissal led the acting secretary of the Navy to resign. But Adam says the debacle playing out on the USS Roosevelt, it isn't unique.
0: You know, it should be said that for all the attention that's been given to the Roosevelt, it's not the only ship that's had instances of coronavirus. Um, there's also been reports from the USS Reagan, which is now docked in Japan, the USS Boxer and amphibious ship, USS Coronado, which is based in San Diego, and a destroyer in Washington state. And um, this is going to be a problem that grows before anybody figures it out.
1: I mean, tell me a little bit about life on a boat. How tight are the quarters? Why is it such a good place for something like coronavirus to spread? I
0: mean, there's total economy of space on any ships. Um, It varies a little bit. So, for example, you know, you have sailors who serve on uh fast attack submarines which are the typically the smaller submarines who i have met and they go to an aircraft carrier or a a larger ballistic missile submarine they're like whoa it's like it's like getting into a cadillac after you've been driving a toyota but it's still (laughs) it's still tiny it's still cramped and it's not just your living quarters your birthing spaces where i mean the common areas are usually like you know enough space for four people to play at a card table intimately Um, You share uh, heads, uh, restrooms, you share showers, and all of that stuff is done within small passageways because all the space needs to be taken up by engineering equipment, armor, fire control, all of these different parts of a ship. There's just no place on a ship where privacy and sanitation are really at a premium, and that's part of the life that you sign up for. And that's why, that's why Captain Crozier, in his letter, it, you know, he made a, a really salient point, which is with the exceptions, he says, of a handful of senior officer staterooms, so referring to his own bedroom, none of the berthing on board a warship is appropriate for quarantine or isolation. Now, if you can say that about the Roosevelt, which is the size of three and a half football fields, nuclear-powered aircraft carrier that carries up to 5,500 sailors, airmen, and marines,
1: it's 20 stories tall, right? Yeah, it's it's a massive,
0: massive ship. It's easy to get lost in, but it's very hard to find privacy in. Huh.
1: So if you can say it about that ship, you can say it about every ship. Yeah, yeah. Exactly how the coronavirus made its way onto this aircraft carrier, it's still unclear. One theory has to do with a diplomatic trip the ship made to Vietnam in early March. It had been planned for months— It was a pretty big deal for the Trump administration. And when the USS Roosevelt docked in Da Nang, the soldiers got to get off.
0: Most of the sailors were given some form of liberty. They stayed in hotels. They circulated and visited sites. And towards the end of that port call, I believe it was March 8th, um, they learned that two British tourists at one of their hotels uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Hmm. And, and so the decision was made then to uh, spot test, at least with a temperature check, um, until they could get more testing kits, to, to spot test all the sailors when they came back on board the ship. All the sailors at that point tested negative. It was only when they got back underway that they started getting uh, seeing illnesses. Now, it was March 22nd when the first Roosevelt sailor was diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. It spread very quickly from there within three days they had uh, a handful more sailors, um, several who required metavacking off of the ship and So in that short space between march twenty first when the first sailor on the ship was diagnosed and I think march twenty seventh they get to Guam, so they were only underway with cases. Uh, showing themselves for a few days by the time they uh, docked in Guam. And then the orders were, stay on the ship, we'll
1: figure it out. And that's when Captain Crozier, the leader of the ship, wrote his letter. Well, to be clear, he did a few things before he wrote that
0: letter. And that's what's interesting about this because uh, at one point, um, Tom Modley, the now former Navy secretary who had uh, relieved Crozier of his command and essentially fired him, had basically said well you know he went outside of the chain of command and around his superiors that's not entirely true because within a few days of them porting in Guam Captain Crozier is already in communications with Modley's chief of staff and his bosses and there were disagreements at that point Crozier said get 90% of this crew off so we can stop the contagion and we can test everybody and see where we're at and it seemed that his superiors favored a little less um, stringent or ambitious efforts. And so talks with Modley's chief of staff kind of hung up. And at that point, Crozier shot out his four page memo to probably about 20 or 30 people in the service, including his staff and a couple of people in his chain of command and a couple of people who weren't. And, um, that just sort of snowballed into what we have today.
1: So this letter comes out and, you know, this captain is really making the case that I need to get my sailors off of this ship because it's just not safe for them. I can't guarantee their safety and we're not at war. He makes this point of we don't need to be in a wartime stance We can get people off this ship. And very quickly, there's this kind of jumbled response from the Navy. One superior comes out supporting the captain, and then the acting head of the Navy comes in and says, no, 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 this is not how we do this.
0: Right. Yeah. I, you know, I want to give, I want to give Crozier's chain of command a little benefit of doubt here because of the unprecedented nature of the problem that he was really posing to them um this is what i mean when i say you know the virus is a bit of an existential problem for the military part of that is because the service members of every rank has been trained to see lethality and readiness for combat as the highest values higher than your personal well-being it's ground into you from the first day you put on a uniform and what Crozier, the, the Roosevelt's captain, is basically suggesting, posing to his uh, superiors is, well, that's an easy thing to tell service members and for us as service members to say and to practice in a shooting war. Our, our, our objectives are clear. But when there's no violent threat on the horizon, how much of this lethal readiness is too much? And so he made that point of, we can fight still if you need us to even with the virus raging, because that's what we do. We are sailors. This is a warship. But we're not at war with anybody right now, so there's no reason for my sailors to die. And that seems pretty clear-cut to all of us who have several weeks to sit home and and think about it um, as we do when we read it online. For Crozier's commanders in the Navy and for the entire DOD, This is not just a challenge, but really a gauntlet that's been thrown of how much of our readiness posture are we really ready to throw aside in order to protect our people from this virus. Hmm. That's, I think, why this sort of memo hit everybody really hard in the service. Also because it looked like a black eye. When it got out, it seemed embarrassing.
1: Crozier's letter was quickly leaked to the press the acting secretary of the Navy, Thomas Modley. He was under immediate pressure to respond, along with other officials in the Trump administration.
0: What's interesting to me about the response immediately after Crozier's memo gets out into the public is how there wasn't any coherent one. It was everybody saying different things. So Modley immediately got on on the news and told CNN, you know, we're working on it, we have a plan in place which was true because he was in communications with Captain Crozier and his staff at that point. That same afternoon, Modley's boss, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, gets on the evening news and says, I haven't made any decision and I haven't read the letter in full. Well, I have not had a chance to read uh, that letter, read it in detail. Uh, Again, I'm going to rely on the Navy chain of command to go out there to assess the situation and to uh, make sure they provide the captain and the crew all the support they need to get the sailors healthy and get the ship back at sea. They were nowhere near on the same page, the Secretary of the the Navy and the Secretary of Defense. And it was just the beginning of this massive schism, I think, that's happening right now between um, civilian and military leadership. What do you mean when you say that? Regardless of who in Captain Crozier's chain of command was against his requests, and they were maximal requests, you start to see a real difference between how the admirals and how the political appointees um, are dealing with this. And the admirals, well, they still had a ship and a captain to deal with. And so they are still looking for how do we get these sailors off and effect an investigation into what happened. Um, but the political appointees, specifically Modley and Esper, just seemed like they were... Completely foundering and looking for a political uh, mitigation tactic that might save them face.
1: Eventually, these face saving tactics ramped up. Acting Secretary Modley got Captain Crozier on the phone.
0: And they had a pretty good heart to heart and Modley insisted publicly that we're not going to shoot the messenger here. The next day, he relieves Crozier. And He does it with this language that says, um, you know, Crozier's judgment was just obviously overwhelmed by the challenges in front of him. And we have to get him out of the situation.
1: But firing a captain who so fiercely advocated for his sailors, it did not go over well. Crozier gets fired. He's relieved of his command.
0: And so he has to leave the ship. And the way that most of the U.S. public finds out about this is by videos shared on social media of him disembarking from the ship and droves of sailors on board the Roosevelt cheering him on.
1: How rare is that? Like how, as a, as a sailor? uh,
0: Forget as a sailor, as a journalist. Like I was talking about this with other military reporters and they were all like, you know, we have never seen anything like that until... The next day, when Secretary Modley decides to fly out to the TR to give his own address to the the sailors of the ship over the 1MC, the, the main intercom, and that was another unprecedented event where he basically, again, speaking to... Several thousand subordinates, ages eighteen to you know mid 40s, and says, "Well, you know your captain was either too stupid or too naive to realize that that was going to um, that that letter was going to get out to the public and give the navy a black eye and i don 't know where where are we on this pod with profanities <laughs> Go for it so um, task and purpose, a uh, military focused uh, news and culture site that I once worked for, they got audio of uh, Secretary Modley actually giving this speech. And at the point where he calls Captain Crozier too, too stupid or too naive, you could literally hear one of the listening sailors go, what the fuck? And he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. What the fuck? As unprecedented as their raucous rallying applause for Captain Crozier was when he left the ship, their response, to the Secretary of the Navy's speech was like an 11 on the scale of unprecedentedness in the military. For, for rank and file sailors to feel comfortable uttering profanities to the Secretary of the Navy is um, a moment that should give us all pause.
1: looking at the push and pull over chain of command here. You know, there's some reporting that the reason why Captain Crozier was dismissed was because his bosses worried that the president would demand that he be dismissed and they wanted to get ahead of that so that there wasn't some kind of chain of command issue. And then of course what Crozier did was go around the chain of command. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like I just don't know as a former sailor what your perspective on that is.
0: It's good and it's bad and it's it's encouraging and it's troubling. Um I'm always I've always been very interested in the points at which military dissent happens. When people in the chain of command kind of reach outside to higher principles. Um, those are always interesting moments to me. And there's, you're right, there's been a lot of that going on in the Navy of late. And, you know, let's let's give Thomas Modley just a little bit of sympathy that he is due. Secretary of the Navy has suddenly become a much more dangerous job than it ever was before. His predecessor. Say that. So last year, the Navy was being roiled by... Uh, President Trump's call for um clemency for war criminals, specifically uh Eddie Gallagher, a Navy SEAL, who was accused of um a whole bunch of things, but ultimately convicted of um keeping a war trophy, a photograph of himself with a, a dead Iraqi captive. And that controversy really roiled the Navy. Um and it cost the Secretary of the Navy his job because the military uniformed officials really still wanted to make sure that um some kind of punishment or discipline stuck to Gallagher. And so Richard Spencer, the previous Navy Secretary, had sort of inserted himself in that process and in so doing, um, had basically lost favor with the Secretary of Defense and he lost his job. Mark Esper fired. That Navy Secretary, and so there was already this sense. I think when Tom Modley came into the job to be Secretary of Navy, that you need to anticipate what the White House wants, and you need to make sure that you carry that out and not go against it. I think that that's an understanding that most um, administration hopefuls um, have reached, and it could certainly be seen as a bit of approximate factor to what happened here when he fired Captain Crozier. Maybe he was anticipating what Trump wanted. And certainly Trump, when asked about it in press conferences, was saying, oh, you know, it's, it's the Navy. It's not a literature course. Why are they writing letters? So that was a tough position for any Secretary of the Navy to be in. But I do think that there is a, a sense that that job now is for keeping... President Trump happy. And if you're not going to do that, or if Mark Esper says you're not going to do (laughs) it, says you're not doing it very well, your job's in trouble.
1: I mean, you you alluded to that when you talked about this sort of breakdown between the civilian and the rank and file members of the Navy. Do you attribute that to Trump or just to poor management within the Navy itself?
0: It's a combination of the two. I I would say, um, you know, the Navy is generally a hidebound institution, and it is very loath to change or reform. And the people that generally rise to the top echelons are people who are very good at sort of managing and mitigating um, reforms and changes. That being said, Donald Trump being president has brought into severe relief a bunch of those existing issues in the military and the navy in particular and um the system is not necessarily equipped for equipped for a commander-in-chief like that um which is why i think you might see more instances of commanders maybe trying to do what captain crozier achieved here and and let's be clear he achieved it he wanted to get his his ship's crew off that ship and to safety and that has happened and Hmm. you know as a as a captain you lose your job over that maybe that's a fair trade-off you know they, they they do say that you're supposed to go down with the ship when it goes down and i think that crozier seems to be somebody who was prepared for the consequences of his actions however dire they may be And if there are more such commanders in the military, it might be interesting to see how that manifests in the next few years.
1: In the end, Captain Crozier may have been relieved of command, but it was acting Secretary Modley who seemed to resign in disgrace. A few days after his tirade over the PA system on the USS Roosevelt, Modley was out, the third Navy secretary to leave during President Trump's first term.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The secretary of the Navy managed to stay in his job for maybe what, uh, another day or two after he fired Captain Crozier. So after Modley resigns, things get a little bit interesting. Is it in the realm of possibility that Crozier could get his job, be reinstated? It is, but no further actions Uh, on that are going to be taken until after uh, an investigation of exactly what happened on the Roosevelt and around Crozier's letter is completed. And it's not clear how long that's going to take, but the DOD has said that they wouldn't make any further um, decisions about Crozier's fate until a full investigation had been done.
1: Adam Weinstein, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Adam Weinstein is the national security editor at The New Republic. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Mara Silvers. Take care of yourselves out there. I'm Mary Harris. I will talk to you next week.